0: With Capella University's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So in order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to pay attention to and hear about, but we need to learn a little more about you to make that happen. And I would love to learn more about the audience. So go to podsurvey, That's P O D S U R V E Y podsurvey.com slash James, and take a quick, totally anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers and, and even content that you won't want to skip. So once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash James, J-A-M-E-S. Thanks for your help. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. Let's say someone's in their cubicle and they're listening to this and they're thinking, I've got this just chronic disappointment that I should be doing something else. They've been doing this for 30 years and now they're in their winter and they're afraid they're going to be stuck and they want to get unstuck, but they don't know what to do.
1: The first thing, honestly, that comes to mind for me is that old saying, your best thinking got you here. You probably need the thinking of somebody else. I often say most people live from the neck up, and if we could actually stop and feel how we really feel in our daily lives, we couldn't stand what we're doing. We'd have a really hard time stomaching.
0: There's two levels to that. One is this idea that most people don't know what they want. The second is whether they know what they want or not, most people are not honest with themselves about what they could or should do.
1: Most people, we have not been taught to be present to ourselves. Most people don't know what they want. Most people don't know who they are. We're complex beings, which is what I love so much about us. And we have an opportunity to really kind of peel back the layers and figure out what's going on.
0: So, Cheryl, how's it going? Good. Cheryl Richardson, I feel like we've known each other for about five years but I feel like in the five years, we've really been in the trenches together in every way. <laughs> yeah, like have. I've gone through so... I feel like you've been more in the trenches for me than I have been for you, to be honest. like I've been through so much, and you've really helped me through every one of these periods. Um, but I remember that you called me up around the time Choose Yourself was coming out, and I guess you had read it or heard about it uh, from our friend Kamal, and um, uh, you asked me to go on your radio show at Hay House, and then I ended up publishing a book uh, the Power of No with Hay House. Uh, so we got to know each other even better through that. And we just started going to all these conferences together. And then when, I don't know, when bad things started happening in my life, you were the one I would call So for for everything. But you've done so much. You've done so many things. You've written so many books. You've done so many different types of activities. I'll just read a few of them. But I just want to mention the book that just came out, which is great and beautiful. It's... um. And sorry if I uh, mess up the title a little bit. It's uh, Waking Up in Winter. And what's the subtitle? I always forget subtitles. In
1: Search of What Really Matters at Midlife.
0: And it's written in kind of a diary format. It's so beautiful as you kind of... People don't realize you could be in the self-help slash coaching slash personal development industry for years and it's still, life is suffering, as Buddha said. Like it's still, it's the part thing about life, it's every single day <laughs> and you it never stops. Yeah, it's true. And so, 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 you know, you're going through these transitions, whether it's from twenties to thirties or college to twenties or to midlife, you're confronted with a new set of issues and problems. And you tell this daily diary of all these issues in your relationships, in your work life, just in, in, you know, remembering friends from the past and how you deal with that. And and uh, you deal with so many issues in this book. It's a really beautiful book. I want to talk about uh, also some other titles that really moved me and are important. Um, I think maybe, was this your best-selling one, The Art of Extreme Self-Care?
1: Well, Take Time for Your Life, which was my first one, was probably The Biggest Seller, and then Life Makeovers, which was based on a series of weekly blogs that I wrote back in the early 2000s. It was, it was 52 weeks that I had written, so I edited them and put them into a book form and that was the second. Those two, those two were both on the New York Times list at the same time. Wait,
0: and, and what was the title of that one?
1: Life Makeovers. Okay,
0: so I to. there's something really fascinating about that, which is I always encourage people to do. People say, people who are prolific bloggers say, I don't have time to write a book, and then I give them the basic advice, which works, and they nobody believes that they can do this, but you are proof of it, and, and I'm actually proof of it as well, which is I want you to take all of your blogs from the past year, staple them together, put a cover on it, and call that your first draft. It's only your first draft. You might have 10 more drafts, but now you'll start rewriting, and you have a book in front of you. And, oh, oh but won't people get upset or won't people remember? No, no one read 75% of your blog posts. Yeah. And if they did, by the way, they forgot them. Yes. And and you'll rewrite them anyway by the tenth draft. Yeah. So just start the process, get going. Even now, there, there's a website called Quora. I don't know if you ever use oh, it. Yeah. It's like no, a QA a website. But I, but I I encourage people just answer questions on Quora, staple those together. I know five people have written books well, off. Because nowadays
1: that. you can you can produce an ebook so easily, right? So and back then I had those same concerns. Oh my gosh! People have already read these. What are they going to think? But like a smart handful of people had read them.
0: I bet you nobody wrote to you and said nobody. Oh, why did this is just a handful Never. of her letters or her blog posts. No, post. you
1: know what they would say? Oh my God, I remember when you wrote this blog and I loved it then, and I really love it now. Like that's yeah. what I would get. That's the only feedback. Right, because I'm sure
0: you sharpened it and you made it better. Without a
1: doubt, yeah, I edited it and always add resources into whatever it is I'm writing so and, people.
0: And by the way, it's not a bad writing style in today's world. People are used to reading things in. Blog post size formats or even smaller. Yes, yeah. And so to have chapters that are just two pages and fifty of them or or hundred yeah. of them, it's actually people like reading books like that. That's very those are very successful books now. And your book was a New York Times bestseller.
1: Yeah, and you know what was really interesting about that book, James, was so it was Life makeovers because I called it Life Makeovers for the Year whatever, 1999, 2000, 2001. So every week I would write a blog post, put it in a newsletter, publish it, and then archive it on my site. So they were also archived on the site. Back then I also knew as a coach that the only thing that really gets people to change their lives is the action they take, right? It's not enough to just read a book. Um, you can be inspired by it and moved by it, and but if you, you want to be moved to action, And so I knew that the way that most people will take action consistently is if they have accountability and support. So back then, when I look back and I think, I was like, (laughs) I was such a newbie but I mean, I've been blogging since like 1999. And back then I did something called, um, I created Life Makeover Groups. This is before I published this book. And I used autoresponders. Remember those? And I, I knew that if I could... Well, I
0: know them now. I didn't know actually they were around then.
1: Yeah. So back then the way I, I wanted people to be able to find people in their local communities to get together with, to read the book and digest it one week at a time and take the action.
0: Mirroring Louise Hayes' uh, original book. I forgot what it was called from the 70s. The
1: blue bo- Well, yeah, she, it, Originally, it was called The Little Blue Book, and then it went on to be Heal Your Life, which was sort of her story and the guts of that, which was the affirmations related to different health issues. And people would meet to talk about that as well. And so I I use these autoresponders where, you know, if you're last, I mean, if you lived in a city somewhere in the U.S. that began with A through E, You'd send an email to this autoresponder and it would kick back all of the life makeover groups in your city. And it grew to about 4,000 groups worldwide. Wow. And, then, and then when PHP became available, I then went from autoresponders to actually creating a database online where you could go in, sign yourself up as a group, and people could find you from all over the world, and then they could get together face-to-face. So it was this very primitive community-building format back then, but it brought people together, and I mean, I had groups in Zimbabwe.
0: You know, this brings up a, a lot of things, like we're going to go on a, I go on tangents. Okay, good. It's okay. No, I do too, so, so it's great. <laughs> um, you said something really important, which is that it's, it's. although reading is really valuable and provides you a lot of information, and allows you in some ways to kind of download a piece of the author's life into you, still change happens from doing. Like, you can't you can't just watch two people playing tennis and suddenly be a good tennis player. You have to get out there with a the court and try, on the court and try to hit the ball back over the net. Like you have to do. And, and and you know people I think forget that. They think, "Oh, if I say something interesting or if I write a lot, I'm going to improve." You have to actually get out there and get out of your the only way to get out of your comfort zone is to do something out of your right. comfort zone not yeah. read something out of there's no way to read something out of your comfort zone
1: yeah well that's that's why i mean you're reading out of your comfort zone will expand your thinking which is a good thing but if you don't take if you don't do something different in your life you're just going to be you know have expanded thinking without much changing right that's why the profession of coaching really took off in the in the mid-90s when I first began. You know, everybody thought I was crazy. They thought I was crazy to be calling myself a coach because there was no such thing, and and um, I was working with people over the phone, and people thought that was nuts. I mean, my friends were all talking about me behind my back. My colleagues would say, you know, she actually thinks she's going to grow a business coaching people over the phone, and meanwhile, I was able to work with anybody anywhere, right? And The whole emphasis of the coaching was about taking action consistently. It wasn't about listening to your stories over and over again or psychoanalyzing your problems and where you were stuck. That was for therapy. They were distinctly different and I was a huge advocate of good therapy, but it was all about how do I get you to take action? How do I support you in taking action consistently?
0: Okay, so let's actually look at that distinction. So um, I went to my therapist this morning so I can easily say what, what I do in therapy, which is I tell... Stories of the past, and how can I overcome trauma? You know, we all have some kind of trauma or baggage from our past. So, how do you kind of analyze what they are and be aware of them? So, when you're facing a decision, you can realize, oh, this part of my decision making co- might be coming from a trauma, and this might be coming from a state of clear headedness. So, let's say that's a little bit of therapy. I'm not defining it at all correctly, but um, now distinguish that from coaching.
1: Well, so I always when I get asked this question, I always like to sort of preface it by saying, first of all, I'm, I've always been, I've been considered a leader in the field for a long
0: time. You've coached me for a long time.
1: Well, <laughs> well, there you go. That's that's the only, uh, that's the only um, credibility piece I need, right? For sure. You're an easy, you're you're easy though. I just do what you say. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean. No. Um, so the distinction I say, first of all, a, a good coach needs to be experienced enough to know the difference between the two. And one of the things that, really helps me to know the differences. I'm a huge advocate of good therapy. I hired my first therapist when I was 19. I'm 58. That was a long time ago, and it was very unconventional then. I've done all kinds of therapy over the years because I'm passionate about what makes me tick, what makes human beings tick, and I'm really committed to my own healing and not repeating the past that doesn't work for me. So, The way, generally speaking, what I would say is that therapy really is about looking at where you are now and where you get stuck or hung up and how um, beliefs and experiences and your history might be influencing that and going back and looking at what needs to be healed. And sometimes that means, a lot of times it means connecting with your feelings, doing somatic work, you know body, mind-body work. I mean, I've done a lot of different kinds of therapy where you're really looking at what are the beliefs that were installed in me when I was a young kid, because we now know that from in utero to about the age of five or six, we're just downloading everything in our environment. It's like we're a giant sponge. And then, you know, there are some scientists that say 95% of what we do as adults is based on that subconscious material that was downloaded between you know, in utero through the age of six. Like that to me is really scary when you think about it, right? So, thera- and, I, and
0: I've never even, by the way, had therapy that's like that. Usually it's what happened to you in the past two weeks. Might, could it be yeah. connected to something else? But never really diving that deep uh, in therapy.
1: Well, you know, when people get, I mean, we all, I've never met anybody, and I've met thousands of people, I've not met anybody who hasn't had some kind of woundedness in their childhood. I mean, look, 150 years ago, parents had children to, like, work the fields. I mean, you know, think about it. Like, 200 years ago, there wasn't some kid in a field going, Mom, you know, it really hurts my self-esteem that, you know, I have to stay out here in the field all day and I can't go in and... Re-. Like, that just never happened. So, as generations proceed, we begin to experience, as we become more conscious, we begin to recognize the ways in which our past influences our present and our future and how we get stuck, and that's a lot of what therapy is. It's certainly diagnosing mental health issues and treating those as well, so it's really more emotionally based. Not that that doesn't play a role in coaching, um, but primarily therapy is really looking at how you feel and what needs to be healed and how your past influences the present.
0: And and I I just want to add, when you say coaching now, lately you've been coaching a lot of um... Uh, CEOs and entrepreneurs because yeah. they're recognizing the usefulness of beyond therapy, the the doing and the taking action.
1: Yeah, so so the coaching piece as separate from therapy is really about you know, what do you want for your life and what do you got to do to make that happen and then how are we going to create an action plan and how are you going to stay in action and when you get stuck and you can't take an action, you say you're going to take, how come? Let's look at what happened there and why you got stuck. Sometimes... Um, it might be that the reasons you got stuck turn out to be more therapeutic issues. This is why a coach needs to know the difference. I've sent so many people to therapy over the years, you know, just guided them gently to something that they sort of had a judgment about, but finally were open to because of coaching. They went and they got therapy. And now, yeah, I mean, now I don't have a private practice anymore, but I do coach a handful of CEOs. You know, I have this secret life that a lot of people don't really know about from my public life, and that as exposing you. You're exposing me right now as an angel investor. um, I have about 15 companies that I've invested in, and I am available to those CEOs at any time um, pro bono just to support them in um, growing themselves so they can grow their companies, because that's the piece that's often missing. You can only get so far without checking under the hood and doing your own work. You can achieve massive amounts of success. I'm sure you know plenty of people who are have made tons of money uh, and built really big companies, but they might not, you know, they might not be happy or fulfilled or there may be some emptiness and or a lot of emptiness. And ultimately it usually means there's some personal work that needs to be done. And that's where I come in usually.
0: And so, so, so again, distinguish like, so as, as a coach, what's the difference between w- what is doing? What does it mean to you to do something?
1: So let's say, let me give you an ex- Let me come up with an example. Um, so let's say I'm working with you and you're the CEO of a company and you've hired a head of sales And let's just say it's a woman and she's a really strong woman and she tends to be appear to be controlling and she really pushes your buttons. And you don't find out until about two months into it. You're like, holy crap, this woman is like, did I make a mistake? And you and I might be talking. And, you know, part of our coaching together is to help you grow sales, increase revenues, right? And you start telling me about the salesperson that you've hired and you start telling me about, you know, how controlling she is or how she just, there's something about her. Well, uh, and I've been in this situation before. As we explore that further, we might discover that, you know, people who push our buttons are usually triggering past relationships. And I'm re- I'm thinking of one man in particular I worked with who was really having a hard time because he had to work in partnership with this woman. The board really wanted this woman in place. And he was having a hard time getting along with her. And as we really explored it, one of the things I had him do, interestingly enough, was go back and... Um, in, a, in bulleted form, write a life story that looked at the history of his relationships, any relationships, personal, business, family, and we saw this trail of controlling, dominant, aggressive women in his life, going all the way back to mom. And I realized, he realized during our conversations, that this really wasn't about the new salesperson, that the board might be on to something and that she may have been the right person, but this was about some personal work that needed to get handled. He originally came to me thinking that he was hiring me to help him or you know, engaging my services to help him communicate more effectively with this new VP of sales. What he discovered was there was some real... This woman was an invitation for him to clean up some past stuff in relationships, and my recommendation was that he get into therapy to do that work while we worked on the sales strategy for the company and him working with her in a more productive way, which became a lot easier. once Once you get to the source of where something is... It opens you up to be able to deal with the people in the present or the situations in the present. Um, They're no longer tied to the past, or you're conscious of what's going on.
0: Let me throw a couple situations at you. Like here, I'll take my favorite example. Let's say someone's in their cubicle and they're listening to this and they're thinking, "I've got this just chronic, just disappointment that I should be doing something else. I love doing something else. I love to figure out what I love." Um, what could be some things they can do? To, so they've been doing this for thirty years, and now they're in there in their winter. But they, but of course, as we both know, there's many, many more decades to come potentially, and they just—they're afraid they're going to be stuck, and they want to get unstuck, but they don't know what to do because they've been doing this for thirty years.
1: Well, if you tell me somebody's been doing something like that for thirty years, even twenty years, maybe even ten years. The first thing, honestly, that comes to mind for me is that old saying: "Your best thinking got you here. You probably need the thinking of somebody else." That's really simple, but I just I use that a lot. And so, what I would say to them is: rather than try to even figure this out, because you've been trying to figure it out for a long time, I promise you, if you're in a cubicle for thirty years or twenty years and you're feeling stuck, you've been, you know, you've been rolling around with this thing right, for a there's long nothing time. Nothing to
0: think about and analyze. That's going to suddenly change what you're doing.
1: Maybe there is, but it could take a long, long time. Better for you to find somebody that can view you objectively and have a conversation with you. And this could be probably not a close family member, probably not even, you know, I would go outside of that. I would always be looking for somebody that I really respect and admired, that was older than I was, that had more life experience and who seemed happy in their life. And, you know, even just inviting somebody to dinner and well. Asking them point blank to just listen to you talk about what's going on in your life, where you feel stuck, um, what it is you hope to change.
0: I feel like a lot of people like that—not not all, um, just some that I've spoken to. So, so let's let's just take this example a little bit further. Is that somebody will make suggestions and they'll be defensive? Oh no, I had to do this because I had to raise kids. I had to pay the mortgage. I I I can't. Um, go fly fishing this weekend because I've got to cook the meals um, or whatever.
1: Some people will be defensive because that's just the way that they sort information. Yeah. Like for example, I I am somebody who sorts by the negative. So whenever I'm meeting with a new entrepreneur, let's say in terms of and assessing a business to invest in, and I only do that through an angel investment club I belong to, uh, not club, it's really an organization called Launchpad. I don't invest outside of that anymore. I always want to say that because then I get lots of phone calls from people right. saying, invest in my company. Um. And I just completely lost my train of thought. Oh, so I am somebody who sorts by the negative. So often if I'm looking at a company, somebody who's presenting, I'm looking for what doesn't work. That's just who I am. Now I'm smart enough to not verbalize that, right? Because that's the friends that go, oh, but let me tell you why that won't work. If somebody starts to get defensive with me in that way, I'm, I'm going to assume. I always try to just come from a place of love. Really, I've I've been around long enough and coached enough people to know that coaching at its finest is really loving people and wanting the best for them. And that might sound very fluffy and touchy-feely, but ultimately, it's what it is. So when someone's defensive like that, I know they're scared. I know that they might be sorting by the negative. They might just be looking at why something wouldn't happen. And I might say to them, I might want to introduce an idea to them, but I might introduce it by saying to them, okay, this probably won't, won't work, but have you thought about Doing this, or you've probably already thought about this, but you might want to consider, you know, checking this thing out. In other words, I'm just going to scramble their brain a little bit and address that defensiveness right on by introducing it to them in the form of a question. Does that make sense? What yeah. I'm saying? And
0: then let's say they're still defensive.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to hang in there with them. I mean, I'm going to say to them, "Hey, James, do you do you can you hear how defended you are around this?" Let's talk about what you're defending because people who are very, very defensive usually have something important to defend.
0: Or, or, you know, um, one thing that I've had, one thing I've seen done is asking advice. So sort of like, what can I say to you that you wouldn't be defensive about?
1: That's a great question. It's a great coaching question.
0: Yeah so yeah. so and I've seen that work against me actually. Yes. So
1: Yeah no that's that's another great example of how to kind of circumvent that sorting by the negative or that just that pattern that's just a neural program and it's just running, and you know you'll see. You interviewed Tony Robbins, I'm yeah. sure. Sh- yes, you did, and he right. talks about yeah, pattern interrupt, right? Yeah. So when someone's just running that pattern, it's just neural programming, and anything you can do to just interrupt that pattern is going to do them a favor. And, so, what
0: are some ways to like interrupt? Well, the pattern? you see
1: him doing it in really outrageous ways that yeah. I probably I, I, I'm just too shy to do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but the question that you asked is a great example of how to do that, or I might, I mean, I've done this with my husband, Michael, who sometimes, because he's such a thinker, and he can get into these loops. Who
0: I just want to say is listening out there, and if Michael, if you ever want to... But in here and say, that didn't <laughs> happen that way. You're more than welcome to.
1: Uh-oh, now I'm <laughs> in trouble. But he's a real thinker. He's got a very vivid mind. And um, there are some times where, from my perspective, you know, he'll get stuck in a loop and I'll just, you know, I might just say something, okay, just stop. Stop. Let's go to the beach. Or like, let's, you know, let's just do something crazy right now. Or just stand up and start shaking. And he'll look at me like, you know, he's been with me long enough now. He's like, what are you talking about? Just get out of this. Let's break this loop. It's a neural network that's running, and it's not going to get you anywhere. So we need to just stop it and do something different. One of the best things you can do is move your body differently. Literally get up and just do something different with your body. We'll break a pattern. And so I might invite somebody to do that. Just get up. Get up and walk with me. Now skip with me. Now jump up and down. Yeah, I know it looks like I'm crazy, but or I'll use the tapping therapies. I don't know if you're familiar with those, yes. but I'll use um I use that a lot with people because it really, really helps to just get people unstuck.
0: You know, and then there's kind of then um the bigger layer of doing it, which you start to describe like making an action plan. I I always find what really improves everything in my life. So so let's say I write every day. Maybe I'll get a little bit better every day. and Maybe my my audience will will go up and down a little bit every day. But then if I actually do, like if something new and big happens in my life, that takes me to a whole new level all of a sudden. It's only doing. It's never like writing a new blog post that will change my life. It's only like throwing out all my possessions and living in Airbnbs or uh, starting a podcast or doing something big and life-changing so I tried I for myself whether this is right or wrong it makes me a little bit of a dilettante but I try every year or two to do something big and new.
1: I have to say it's one of the things that I really love about you and that I feel really inspired by is because you know I've been reading you for a long time too you know we every now and then we write to each other and um, and I love I love how ballsy you are and I love how willing you are to just you know just do radical things. I mean, for me, writing this current book was one of those things. And, you know, I didn't say to you, you started this podcast by talking about how I've been there for you when you've been going, but what you probably don't remember is way back when I was considering, just considering publishing a real journal, you and I had dinner together in New York and you probably don't even remember this. This is a long time ago and I had talked to you about this idea that I had and how I was really scared and also excited
0: I do remember because we both were big fans of Mae Sarton. Okay, which yes. Which this book is roughly modeled after her style. Yes, yes. Not her, but her style. Yeah. And, and I loved her writing. And
1: I remembered when you talked about Mae Sarton, like I just felt like, and this is what I mean about loving people. I felt like that night, I remember where we were. We were sitting outside having dinner. It was like a cool fall night. And just I just felt like you saw me. You mirrored to me the kind of the passion that I had about this, but I was too afraid to really own. And I walked away from that dinner definitely more courageous to take action. And there were so many times when I was editing, because this was a journal. So basically, when it came time to write a book, and this is what I mean about like the big thing you're talking about, I read all of my earlier books and I reached a really scary point in my career. I realized I feel like I've said everything I need to say about work-life balance, self-care, you know taking care of your physical health your emotional health your spiritual health your environment finding more time for your life all of that like there was nothing more for me to say which was really scary because i thought shit i've got this large, can i swear on your podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. okay good i have this, this is the wild west okay great good great um i thought you know i've got all these readers i've got people waiting for a book i have publishers that were waiting for you know to know what i was going to do next and i thought i'm done I just can't do this. I think
0: this is where what you're referring to as an accountability person or people yes. is important. Like You need a community of people to say, hey, I'm going to try something different, yeah. but I don't know where I am. I don't know how to do it. And
1: Yeah, and you were an important part of that. Michael, my husband, was a huge part. You know, Michael's like, enough already. Why don't you? He said to me, you love May Sarton. Why don't you just publish a journal? And I thought, Wow, that's an awesome idea. And holy shit, that scares me to death.
0: And, and having the faith in that, by, by the way, in addition to making a great book, it also allowed it also freed you from, the chains of thinking, okay, well now I have to do this publisher, now I have to do this kind yes. of marketing, now yes. I have to do this kind of like book tour. Like you focused on the book and the quality of the book first. And everything else kind of changed, I bet, from what you initially thought, except for the concept of the book.
1: Well yeah, I mean I made a decision for for the first time in my writing career, I was not going to sign a publishing contract. I wasn't going I wasn't even sure if I was going to publish it, honestly. I didn't start keeping a journal. I picked a journal that had already been written because I really wanted it to be a true journal. And I wasn't a mature enough Journal publisher, I felt, to not be self-conscious, keeping one, you know? And so, yeah, I said, I'm not going to have a publishing contract. I'm going to go ahead and go back through this period in my life, this journal, edit it so that you know it's clear and the punctuation and grammar is correct. And then we'll see what happens. And it wasn't until a year and a half after I had done that. And this is the other thing, because you said, you do something radical and it upgrades your life. I was giving myself a radical upgrade. I hired a really beautiful editor. And decided I wanted to take my writing to another level. I wanted it to be more poetic. I wanted it to reflect, but accessible. I wanted it to reflect beauty, which I had discovered was so deeply important to me. It's like just soul food for me. And um, and I just I wanted to just I wanted to just do something that felt pretty radical to me. And a year and a half into it, I thought, you know, I kept thinking, I may never publish this. But I'm staying with this project because there's something about it. Like I want people to know what it's like to be a writer, a woman, a creative woman in the twenty first century, who's a writer who's scared shitless sometimes, who's, you know, trying to walk her talk, but can't always do that, whose self-care goes right out the window sometimes like everybody else's does. and um, and it wasn't until I ended up doing the deal with Harper One. Gideon Weil was a. He got the book as soon as I said it to sent it to him. He like called me up and said, I couldn't put it down. You know, I read it in one sitting. I really want to work with you. Like, and he got it. And I just said, great, let's do it. And it wasn't until the day that I pressed send. Like I had the deal in place and everything, but I thought, I'm still might not publish it, because you know, I mean, you and I are alike, I'll just give the money back. I don't care. And um and it wasn't until the day that I hit send and then went, oh man. You know, and then I spent like nine months thinking. You know, I mean, I write about reevaluating everything at midlife, right? My marriage. God bless Michael. I mean, thank God I'm married to a writer because when I gave him the book to read, I said, I was scared out of my mind. And I said, Here, I need you to read it cover to cover. And if there's anything in here you don't want, if you don't want me to publish this, I won't because I write about our marriage. And um, he only asked me to change two words. And that was it.
0: That's it, two words? Out two of the, words. Not like two scenes. Two words. What could the two words possibly be? Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I love. I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, And I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I've met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much Hims, H-I-M-S. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is hundred percent online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? <laughs> yes, i definitely gonna use Hims from now Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? of the kind of person who needs Hims, That's com slash James for your personalized treatment options. himscom slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See himscom slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. I just want to say thank you to everyone listening to this. Doing a podcast is the activity that I've enjoyed most in these past few years. I've interviewed so many fascinating people. I've researched so hard, and I've really wanted to bring the highest quality information about peak performance really to the listeners. So I hope you enjoy what I've been doing. I don't ask for a lot, but please take a moment to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It will only take a second, but it will help other people discover the podcast. To see the show notes, just head on over to jamesaldescher.com slash podcast. While you are there, you can join my free insiders list to get notified when I post a new podcast. Once again, thanks so much for joining me on the journey of this podcast.
1: He only asked me to change two words, and that was it.
0: That's it, two words? Out two of a, words. Not like two scenes. Two words. What could the two words possibly I be? I can't
1: tell <laughs> you. We decide, I, I, Michael, can she <laughs> say? Can we? <laughs> no. no, he doesn't even know, because I've been asked that before. This is the first time he's probably hearing this, but um, I just made a decision. I would never tell anybody what the two mm-hmm. words were, but it was really you know he said to me you've this is beautiful and this is the next stage of your writing
0: cuz it is so much different from your prior writing yeah. i mean this is this is a Book to read, meaning it's like literature, as opposed to like, okay, here's here's the ten steps for taking care of yourself yeah. and 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 transforming your life and life doing a life makeover. Yeah. It's not a coaching book. It's it's an experience. It's your experience. It's- well,
1: you know, part of what it is. So it's a memoir in journal form. And you know what? I f- I felt like James, and this is something that I think you do really well too. Is we are so bombarded with information now. Right, every day I get plenty of emails telling me you know, how I can improve my life. What we're hungry for are stories. Yeah, I agree. We're hungry for stories. I see it in my work as a speaker. When I'm on stage, you know, thanks to Reed Tracy, my publisher from Hay House, eight years ago, he kept saying to me, stop teaching and tell stories. Your stories are awesome. People want to hear those. They'll learn through your stories.
0: I've seen you speak in front of thousands, and you tell stories, and everyone's on the edge of their seats.
1: And I, well, I love doing it, too. You can be funny. You can be touching. You know, you can, I mean, you can just touch people. You know, I've seen Ken Blanchard. You know, I've Ken and I used to speak at the same conferences. One-minute sales manager. Yes. All he would do is tell stories, and I would just be riveted to his stories, you know, and so... It worked on stage, and I was having a great time doing it. And I thought, you know, rather than tell people what I think they ought to do in order to improve their lives, I'll just show them how I live mine and how I do it. And some of it will, you know, some of it will resonate for people, some of it won't. There's some things I do that probably feel, you know, pretty out there to some people that I write about. And there are some things that are, that might appear boring. But, you know, when we go through this book, really is about the hero's journey, which you've been through several times as well, where we go into this descent and we know that what used to work isn't working anymore. We have no idea where we're headed. Life starts falling away. We're scared out of our minds. We're disoriented and confused and suddenly we're plunged into the mystery and suddenly we're, you know, we're just, we're walking through life not knowing, like, who am I now? Who and do I want to be?
0: I think extreme examples of that might be, let's say you get fired from a job or you lose a spouse or a close family member. Yeah. But of course, there's many... Layers of this. Yeah, a diagnosis of an things. illness. Yeah. For
1: some people, um, that wake-up call is just having a biopsy and waiting for the results. And the gift of those moments is suddenly your priorities become crystal clear, right? Yeah. And so um, there's that mystery period where you just got to wait and you don't know what's next. And parts of who you are, this is what you're talking about, I think, when you say, you know, give away everything you want. Like we we have to literally drop some of the old roles, the old rules that we live by, the tribal rules that we're also influenced by that you do this is why I love choose yourself. It was like a giant fuck you to the rules that so many of us are strangled by. I mean, I love that about your work, because you Thank you know you. that's what you do all the time. And we need to be broken out of this hypnotic trance that we get into with the 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 educational tribal, you know, the just that we're hypnotized by systems that are interested in conformity, not creativity.
0: That's what's so great in your book is that it seems like every, and it's almost like reading it gives the reader permission to understand that every day you kind of have to look at these systems and still draw your own path. Yeah. you know, and and I think the, let, let's reel it back a tiny bit. I think the art of extreme self-care is really important. I've been quoting it and or you on this topic for the past few months in particular. I think it's such an important topic that people forget. And it was so important that this and your other works, I mean, you traveled for with, with Oprah for a certain period of time as part of her. Um, I don't know what the tour was called. Live uh, Your
1: Best Life Tour, when she was launching her magazine, yeah.
0: Yeah, So so people don't realize how you, can't. I think a lot of people, and I'm guilty of this too, on occasion, okay, I'm just going to kill myself for the next three or four months, meaning I'm just going to work really, really hard on something unpleasant for the next three or four months, and then I'll be okay. Then life will be good. But you can't, but extreme, that's the opposite of extreme self care. Like today is the the only day you get to be your best person. Yeah. And so, so maybe talk a little about that, like what led to, to that book, which I think is so important and which leads to ultimately your, your memoir.
1: Yeah, I think that, um, I think what you just said is so important about many of us in our culture, uh, just we're, we've got really well-developed suck it up muscles and we can just plow through things and you know, okay, I'll just, yeah, it's going to suck for the next three months. But after that, I think we, I think it's so important to look at what drives us. Like for me, you know, I grew up in a family, you know, I'm the oldest of seven children. We did not have a lot of money. There were times in my family where we were really worried about money. You know, My father was working three jobs. I grew up really scared, uh, desperately wanting security, wanting to feel safe. And I spent a lot of years working really, really hard in the hopes of, I wanted to pay off any debt I had. I wanted to save money. Like to me, I was driven by this conscious and unconscious fear of being a bag lady. A lot of people say that to me, um, or or just, never having enough security and um and that i think was one of the big catalysts for me just constantly pushing
0: can i ask you a question yeah. so so that was as a girl and obviously many years later uh you have so many successful things going on did you ever have this and and i want you to continue that story but this is just mm-hmm. i'm interrupting that's okay um did you ever have this feeling when as you started to accumulate security after working so hard in many years did you ever have this feeling uh i don't or even if it was subconscious, I don't deserve this. And so you would some anxiety would pop up and you would start to self-sabotage the opportunities that were coming your way?
1: Um I don't know about the self-sabotage part. I'll think about that in a minute. But I would say that till this day, um, one of the things remember, my my commitment in this lifetime is to my own growth and evolution. I'm really clear about that. If I don't ever write another book or like come off of social media, never speak again. I'm committed to my own growth. Like I just know this is the lifetime I chose to do that. So so I can tell you that up until this day, I still feel disoriented by the success that I've achieved in my life coming from the family I came from. You know, um, my dad passed away a little over a year ago and he was so proud of me and so supportive. Like one of my biggest, both he and my mother, I'm really blessed, they're like, some of my biggest fans. And every time I would reach a point where I knew I had more money than my parents, or my house was bigger, or you know, I didn't have any debt. Or, you know, just these different milestones for me in relation to being driven by security. I would feel really uncomfortable. This as a matter of fact, here's what really Uncomfortable did- in what way? Well, here's what really did it for me. Um a couple of years ago, I was driving to an angel investor meeting with a colleague who had just turned 70, and he said to me, you know what, I've just made this decision, I'm not going to do anything for money anymore. I said, really? He said, yep, yeah. I decided early on in my life that when I turned 70, I would have saved enough money, invested enough, that I know I was only going to do what I love and nothing for money. And that really stayed with me, and I and I thought, you know what, I'm going to make that decision too. I'm going to not do anything. For, I don't have to do anything for money. I've, I've I'm a good, you know... I'm really good with money. I grew up as a tax consultant when I was young. My dad taught me about profit and loss when I was 16 years old. And so all of a sudden, I thought, I'm only going to do things that I feel moved to do. If I'm coaching, I'm coaching pro bono. I'll invest in these companies. Um, You know, if I want to speak and someone wants to pay me, great. If I want to speak and they can't afford it and I want to do it, I'll do it anyway. And it totally threw me because it it, it, it showed me that this framework that I had the scaffolding that I had used to kind of operate within in my life was suddenly gone, and I felt really uncomfortable in that um, I didn't know what was going to motivate me. It was a huge motivator for me to keep making money, keep saving money, keep investing well, trying to, you know, get enough.
0: Uh, You know, it's interesting because I think, let's say there's a a small contingent of people where they do absolutely what they love and they get paid a lot of money for it, but I don't know. I think that's very small because even if you take like a professional athlete, they get a great salary from, let's say, the NBA. But where they really make money is sponsoring Budweiser or something. It's not their ideal. It's not like they, like they woke up when they were five years old and said, "I really want to be Budweiser spokesperson and make a lot of money that way." So I always think money. One way to look at money, and this is maybe a bad way to look at it, but one way to look at money is that it's, comp, it's paying you to do to. Because it, it's paying you for your discomfort because you're going, to feel, hmm. you're going to feel discomfort. You're going to feel a certain level of discomfort. So the more discomfort you're going to feel, the more they should pay you. So <laughs> that's, that's really the equation yeah. in some ways, yeah. uh, particularly as you break out of, mm-hmm. you know, and you start to do things professionally and, and, and so on. And so I always feel like the more I accept money for work that I do, the, the more likely it is I'm going, to be, I'm going to be being paid for work that makes me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very careful because that's also a trap. Because you also should feel abundant, and that the things that you love to do will make you money. So there's some kind of middle well, ground in there. There's
1: something. There's something in what you're saying that makes me wonder if you know human beings are all driven by unmet needs. Um, so there's needs and there's values. Most of us call what we value. Most of us will will name things in our lives. Values when in fact they're unmet needs. And there could be, just in what you just said, like um, a need to be seen, a need to be heard, which we all have as human beings, a need to feel important, a need to be right, um, a need to be recognized, a need for security, like I'm talking about. That need drove my life. And when needs drive your life, you're not at choice about your life. The needs no, are driving your life. I agree. Right? That
0: last need, which sounds like it drove you, yeah. it probably drove me crazy for 15 straight yeah, years. Like yeah. literally insane.
1: Yeah. And what you just said, as a coach, I listen to you and I think, you know, I would explore, do you have a need to challenge yourself? Which I know you and I think that's true. Um, I know I have a need to challenge myself and I had to really become aware of that. So I wasn't constantly challenging myself. We go back to extreme self-care here in that if if I have a need to challenge myself, I'm always raising the bar, right? Or I'm always like doing things that are uncomfortable. I might not necessarily even love them, but they're feeding me in some ways because I'm getting this need to be challenged met. But if I'm not loving them or they're not feeding me on a soul level, then it's not good self-care. And so I just think, you know, we're complex beings, which is what I love so much about us. And we have an opportunity to really kind of peel back the layers and figure out what's going on. And I would, you know, I would explore that more with you. Just like, just like, you know, I was, I became fascinated by, and I think it's important to become fascinated by the things that seem to trip us up. I became fascinated by the discomfort I felt at having the scaffolding of security fall away. And suddenly I didn't have to say yes to anything for the money. As a matter of fact, if it was for the money, I needed to say no. Like if that was the main motivation, I needed to say no. And that really scared me. It was uncomfortable. Even right now, I can tell you, I can feel it in my body. I'm uncomfortable talking about having enough money that I don't have to work to have money because I know where I came from. And I also know where so many of the people that I that read my books, like so many people struggle with security issues. And I have a lot of empathy around that. But you know what? I'm not doing anybody any favors by by keeping myself with that crowd. I'm somebody who used to struggle, who used to judge people who had more than me. Sometimes I'll get that from people. We've talked about that before where people will say to me, you know, oh, well, you know, you've got all this money and you're living, you know, you're on Oprah, you're fine. Um, How do you know what my troubles are? a, I've had them. B, I was just like you, judging people like me. And as long as I judge them, I remember the day I realized I had such judgment about people who had more than me. There was no way I was going to gain any more because I didn't want to be a victim to that judgment. I had to get really conscious about that
0: right i think that judging is the same thing as that kind of classic statement uh if you argue for your limitations then then they're yours that's which, right which i believe is that a louise Hay statement or it sounds like it's it something a, yeah
1: it sounds like something she would say for or a sure. wayne
0: dyer statement yeah one of them yeah um but i think for me there came a point around like 2009 or 2010 where i had no opportunities in front of me i was kind of going broke so we moved to sort of a smaller place And I didn't know where my next opportunity was going to come from. So I focused really on what, in retrospect, would be your art of extreme self-care. And then suddenly, that combined with honesty, which I think is part of extreme Mm -hmm. self-care, opportunities galore happened. Like everywhere I looked, there were opportunities. Yeah.
1: Well, I loved your whole, you know, writing down the 10 ideas a day. And making sure that you, you know, eat well and that you sleep. Like you kept it really simple. But at the end of the end, at the end of the day, that's really what it's about.
0: Yeah, it's simple because that's all you can do today is yeah. do simple things. That's right. So it's, right. it's not like I can write, um, you know, an encyclopedia today. I can yeah. only write a couple hundred words today. Right. I could only eat a couple of good nutritious meals today. Right. And and call it my friends and my family. Yeah. And that's it.
1: It's interesting to think about what what how i define extreme self-care now like right now here in this moment um i would and and like i said i'm 58 so i feel like i'm in the autumn time of my life and um and i would Le-
0: early autumn
1: early okay thank you yes early summer, autumn, early autumn yeah you know i'm i'm not afraid of aging i mean my life is, is you, we started this by talking about life is suffering and it's true i just i've learned how to handle it better and better so um but yeah it's probably early autumn because I mean, Louise Hay started her company when she was 60. I'm always re- reminded of that. Um, extreme self-care to me today is the ability to sit with wanting something when I know it's not the right time to have it.
0: Like, give me an example.
1: Like if um, if you call and you say, listen, I'm going to be in town. Well, this isn't a good example because I would always say yes. But um, if somebody invites me to do something that I'd really like to do, but I've been out straight, you know, for the last few days or for the last couple of weeks, and I really want to do it, but I realize no. You know what? It's better for my soul that I just stay home and stay home and chill.
0: I agree with that, Steve. My podcast producer is nodding his head right now. James saying no constantly to podcast yeah. guests.
1: Yeah, yes, right. Because well,
0: I want to just stay home and and rejuvenate.
1: Well, and it's so important. I mean, here's the thing: at some point in your life, when you achieve a certain level of success and you get to a certain age, you realize that. Um, my job is to relinquish the gladiator role, the get shit done, make it happen woman, and become more of the chalice, which is the receptacle. I get quiet. I I generate peace. I think of myself as this chalice waiting for what life wants to bring me instead of me chasing or me going towards. It's a very different concept. It's sort of an advanced coaching concept.
0: But, but let me ask this. Wouldn't that be, Is it? can't we say fake it till you make it? Like... Wouldn't that be better if you had started that in your 20s and, you know, still, you know, it's not like you're doing nothing you're you're spreading this notion of calmness and peace and listening yes and then without I, a doubt without a doubt with, you, even when you were telling the story just now your arms were held out So yeah. it's like it's not yeah. like that you're giving it's also that you it's room to receive
1: well yeah you're creating the space for receptivity it's a real feminine approach you know we live in a very hyper masculine culture we, we, we're I mean look at this patriarchal system we're in right now which is hurting both men and women
0: okay half my audience just keep keep Tuned in, just keep staying in. No, here. but
1: but let me no, but but let, let me say this. You know, when I had a coaching practice, sixty-five percent of my clients were men. I love men, and I've seen how damaged they've been by a patriarchal system that basically says, put your life on hold, put your soul on hold, you're the breadwinner, just get out, make the money, support the family, and yeah, maybe if there's a little time left over, you'll get to kind of dabble in what your soul wants. That's it's why we're in the situation we're in right now, because right. So, we we need more of the feminine, which is not, I'm not talking men and women, I'm yeah. talking more practices of presence, more time to be, you know, sitting still, um, more collaboration with one another, more connection to our feelings instead of just our thinking mind, although both are important, just honoring the feelings that we have. You know, if most, I often say most people live from the neck up, and if we could actually stop and feel how we really feel in our daily lives, we couldn't stand what we're doing. We couldn't, we'd have a really hard time stomaching,
0: so do you think there's two levels to that? Uh, well, there's three, but I'll start with two. One is um, this idea that most people don't know what they want. The second is whether they know what they want or not, most people are not honest with themselves about what they could or should do. Um, those two things are really, it seems like are really important.
1: I would say most people, we have not been taught to be present to ourselves so I'm, I almost wouldn't even say that most people don't know what they want. Most people don't know who they are. Because when you take the time to really get to know who you are, it's you know, I've been journaling since I was 12 years old. It's been an awesome practice for getting to know who I am. I'm sure you learned so much about yourself from your own writing because your writing's like journaling, don't you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really think it's... And think about what you've learned about yourself over the years, But right? let's
0: say someone's listening to this and they haven't been journaling. How can they dabble in in figuring out what their soul wants. Just
1: start, I mean, this is so crazy simple because I get asked this question a lot. Start with like one date night with yourself. Just start by carving out some time where you'll be by yourself. Now, it's going to be really uncomfortable for most people, especially if you're used to running on adrenaline or you're used to being busy. Most people will say to me, I was home, okay, I had a night by myself and I found myself like cleaning out the kitchen cupboards because I couldn't stand it. It's like yeah, there's this zone of in between where you go from a really busy, crazy, chaotic life into a I'm uncomfortable with this. This doesn't feel right. I can't. I you know what is she talking about? Get to know myself. This is stupid to okay but i'm just going to hang in there anyway you know joe dispenza i don't know if you've um yeah. his his work is really wonderful and i love joe and he's somebody that you really ought to inter- you'd love to interview him he's fa- fascinating and you know he talks about he teaches meditation and he does these awesome guided meditations and he said something once that i so loved he said you know when you're sitting there in stillness even for 10 minutes and your mind starts telling you oh wait a minute did i leave the stove on or, I'm uncomfortable, I should move, or, oh, I forgot to call so-and-so. You need to say to your mind, the soul, you, needs to say to your mind, we're not going anywhere, I'm running the show. Mm -hmm. We're going to sit here till the alarm goes off. I'm the boss here, not you. And the more we can cultivate this dominion over our crazy, busy minds, Mm -hmm. the more we begin to recognize that we're souls, and guess what? The soul is here to experience life. It's not here to accomplish, it's not here to acquire, not that those things are bad. I've done both really, really well and, and a lot.
0: And I think experiencing life leads. It's like side effects. Without a doubt. Is that you'll ha- find opportunities.
1: Without a doubt. Well, you're a great example of that. That's so what you're talking about. I mean, look at the experiences you've had and that you've written about. And you've had some pretty profound experiences on the streets in New York, right? Right. Like just on the streets in New York. Laying on the streets <laughs> in New York sometimes. Literally. Literally. So... Um, We need to come home to ourselves. It's not the answer people want to hear. It's not sexy. It doesn't sound like fun in the beginning. It sounds too simplistic. But you will know what's next for you. You're. You will know what you're drawn to when you get quiet enough and present enough to connect with that that wiser part of you. We all have it.
0: We are it. Well, I agree, and I think also, but I think also, there's part of that is there's a spectrum. So there's the extreme, not a, not a, I don't want to use extreme spiritual side, but sort of meditation where you're kind of got the timer and you're contemplating, mm-hmm. you know, the stream of your thoughts. That's that's one end of it. Another end is what you alluded to earlier, which is learning to say no a little bit more so you can have that quiet time, so that you can have that space, so you can have that date night for yourself. Right. What's, let's say, another well, level so, all up. right. So
1: let me give you, yeah, let me give you some levels up. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just thinking this as you were talking. So there's, here's a couple of things I would say. I spent one year, somebody gave me this beautiful little journal, it's like three inches by four inches. I spent one year, every night before I went to bed, I made a list of 10 things that brought me pleasure that day.
0: That's a good idea.
1: And so it could be sitting on the back deck. One, t- one time I was nude sunbathing on the back deck. Just the feel of the sun on my skin. Uh, watching a hummingbird. Eating a great piece of food, you know, something, eating something, uh, you know, uh, whatever it was. Um, uh, It just a whole bunch of different things. I mean, it can be anything from admiring uh, a beautiful piece of art, like whatever it is, 10 things that brought you pleasure. I did that every day for a year. I learned a lot about myself just doing that. I learned about how little pleasure I had in my life. I learned about how inexpensive pleasure is. It actually doesn't cost very much. Mm I had now a library to turn to when I needed more pleasure in my life. I learned that my life was too devoid of pleasure, and I needed more pleasure in my life. I learned that um, that one of the things that brought me pleasure, being more of an extrovert, was deep conversations with people I love, not cocktail level conversation, which bored the hell out of me. So that's one thing somebody could do. I'm going to try that. Yeah, I'm and do it, it teaches you a lot about yourself. It really does. It really connected me to the things that really matter that end up showing up and waking up in winter. Waking up in winter, that journal taught me to start valuing those simple little things. Being out in nature, feeling, you know, the the, the wind on my skin. I mean These things, feeling what it's like to get into... Now, you probably don't know this, but feeling what it's like to get into a bed with like freshly shaved legs and to just feel the smoothness of the sheets against you. I felt that wonderful experience, but... (laughs) You should try it sometime. That could be one of your outrageous moves. Right? Okay, so a year of pleasure, right? Um, The other thing um, people can do, and I think this is... I love this. I did this too for about six months. I made a point of taking pictures with my iPhone. I think you did something like this, didn't you? Um, every day, I would take at least one picture of beauty. and I would do it of people. Okay, yes, that's right. I remember that because I loved the ones that you took of people. I was taking pictures of beauty because I knew that beauty was something that I really valued. And um, at the end of about six months, I had this awesome album that I could go through. And I learned so much about how I see the world, what I want to look at.
0: By the way, that's also very important for... Like if you look at your, I don't know what year you did that, but I'm assuming it was somewhere between the art of extreme self care and your it recent was, memoir. Yes, because now your memoir is filled with just beautiful examples of nature and how it affects your life. It's interwoven into your story, whereas the art of extreme self care has zero nature mentioned in it, or right. very little. There, yes. there's there's you mentioned experiencing nature as ways of uh, having self care, but right. it's not a nature driven book.
1: I think you're absolutely right. I mean, those two examples, the pleasure journal and the photo journal both not only taught me so much about myself, they connected me to parts that were really important, that absolutely, I mean, there were some-
0: Because writers should be painters, should be that's architects, right. should that's be sculptors. Right. Like every part, creativity, there's different parts of the body for different parts of creativity, different well, parts of the brain. You well, know,
1: you know, when I think about you, I think about your podcast and your writing, I think about truth. Like to me, that's that's sort of what you're searching for, what you're expressing, what you're naming. You know, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's something you really value, right? Yeah,
0: and let me ask you this, like, because this, I think about this a lot, like, there's supposedly three components, like in the field of positive psychology, there's supposedly three components of happiness. One is community. So you're around, you know, a good relationship with your spouse, you're around good friends, Mm -hmm. you know, good family, and you eliminate kind of the toxicity in your community. Um, The second is a sense of improvement so that you're, uh, whatever it is that you are doing, you always feel like, oh, I'm improving at this. And people kind of biologically need that. And then the third, which I never really wrapped my head around until recently, was freedom. And uh, and this is, I, never, I don't read, I haven't read the books of positive psychology. I was just reading this one article. And I was wondering, what is freedom? does it mean do they mean financial freedom does it mean scale back so that you could do whatever you want without necessarily the financial freedom but then i realized something recently is that freedom actually 100% equals honesty so let's say um i'll use an example we're going we're going to keep using michael as an example okay, good. so let's <laughs> say michael says something that makes you feel uncomfortable right then mm-hmm. i feel if you say you know, I don't know why, but that just made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you are honest and you're free. Yes. Like if you don't say that, you're hiding. Now you're living a double life. Yes. There's the life that's facing Michael, kind of nodding your head, agreeing to what he just said. And then there's a the life that's like, what did he just mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I like that. I'm feeling really funny all of a sudden. So now it's hard enough to live one life. Now you're living two lives. So I think real freedom is just always being honest in every situation, well,
1: that's where with you what know, you're
0: feeling. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, so there's like seven things I want to say about that, but I, I I agree with you. I think you know we hear this phrase. It drives me crazy because it sounds cliche, but it's so important. And that is living an authentic life, right? Um, really, a life that reflects the essence of who I am, the essence of who you are, and it is a life that's committed to truth and um, and ultimately, that is, it is freeing to be who you really are, to say how you really feel, to say what you really think there's no better place to learn how to do that than in partnership. I mean, my marriage has been hmm. probably my greatest spiritual school ever because I remember Harville, Harville Hendricks said to me, this wonderful writer, he wrote getting the love you want, keeping the love you find. He once said to me, Cheryl, um, it's guaranteed that you will marry or partner with the person who is least capable of meeting your most important needs. And that's when the real work begins. And he was so right. And, um You learn, I've learned how to be free by being in a relationship with somebody for a long time. Michael and I have been together almost 25 years, and um, we've come up against all the time. How do we be honest with one another? How do we make the space for the other person to be honest um, so that they can Mm. be free from whatever's going on in them? How do we find a way to recognize that we're going to push each other's buttons, and those buttons are going to relate to stuff that has nothing to do with us, but we're here to support each other and figuring out what that is and healing the past together. That's the gift of our partnership. And ultimately, I mean, I think you're right that um, we all want freedom. We want the freedom. I mean, to me, that's the ultimate art of extreme self-care. The ultimate act of extreme self-care is to feel at choice in your life. That's why I loved to choose yourself because it basically was saying... Stop being owned by people. Nobody owns you except you think they do.
0: Right. Or or you you build these mental constructs like, right. oh, if I publish a book, I have to do it this way, this way, and this way. Or if I want to have a lot of money, I have to go to this school and do this thing and this thing and this thing. Ugh, Instead of like getting back to the principles of what you call self-care, mm-hmm. I call in that book the daily practice right. of you know, just getting back to these basics and everything else will figure itself out when you're back to the basics. You don't have to follow the rules. There's backdoors. there's other rules, unless it's like a physical law in the universe, you know, like, I don't know, E equals MC squared or <laughs> gravity does this or whatever. Mm-hmm. Every other rule is just yes. man-made and somewhat bendable. It's so true.
1: I mean, again, your daily practices, the simplicity of them. Uh, I, I think, unfortunately, we live in a world where people think things need to be complex and complicated but you're right you know we are all energy energy life forces moving through us all the time the cleaner the vessel is the clearer let's say clearer yeah. the vessel is the more we can co-create with this energy and the more what's in our highest and best interest moves towards us instead of us having to move we just got to get the shit out of the way and what's great just will unfold before us. I've seen it happen. Like I know that works.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it almost sounds new agey when you say energy, but it isn't. Because think about it this way. Let's say someone invites you uh, to a party you really don't want to go to, but it's your friend. Well, You don't want to go. So you say, no, I can't go. Uh, now you have more energy for the next day, for that evening, and so on. So there's all these things we say yes to that slowly, bit by bit, carve away at our energy. And it's really important not to reclaim it all in one day. I think that's impossible. But to kind of move in that direction of, you, you can't be honest about everything. You kind of have to just move right. in the direction. That's and because right. and, 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 every day there's new challenges, there's new things to learn. And and, and you're, you're in new situations. If every day was the same, it would be boring. So it's like hard to figure out, oh, here's a new way to be honest with myself.
1: Yeah, and as we get older, um, hopefully we become more discriminating with how we use our energy. Who gets our energy? Who doesn't get our energy? Right. Um, I know that this is just me, that as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm much more interested in dinner with four people so we can have like deep, intimate conversations than a dinner of 10 or 12. To me, that takes energy from me. I'm sensitive. I'm empathic. Um, I'm somebody who I like to live vertically. I'm not interested in skimming the surface, especially the older I get. It's like I would rather be home by myself writing or reading or hanging out with Michael, who's one of the deepest people I know, uh, than skimming the surface someplace.
0: What does it mean like to live vertically?
1: Just meaning deep. like, you know, i'm mm-hmm. i'm I'm interested in in um the bigger questions, the deeper questions, you know, um, I'm interested in you know, what makes me tick, what makes people tick. I want to have conversations about, you know, what do you think happens when we die, James? Or, you know, what did you wake up worrying about today? And how can I support you with that? Or, um, you know, what are some of the, the thoughts that you think that you think people would think you're nuts if you, you know, one of the things Michael and I were talking about, just we've been talking about this for a year, and I finally said, we are going to do this. We're going to start hosting salons. Old fashioned salons where we're gonna to bring together six or eight deep thinkers that we know that we've met throughout our lives and um for dinner and host just a beautiful dinner at home where we can just have provocative, interesting, deeper conversations about where we're headed as a as beings, you know, the cosmos.
0: Well, if you think about energy. it then you have in that you have community. You have improvement because right. you'll improve yourselves in those conversations, yeah. and then there's an element of freedom because you'll be honest with each other. Or else, what's the point?
1: Yeah, because we'll create an environment where that's that's not like it's that's a necessity. It's not you know hope you know let let's no it'll be set up so that we can just have interesting conversations. It might be about you know a book that you've read that just totally blew you away, or a podcast you listen to, or a video, or you know.
0: So 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 let's. I want to I want to reel it back cuz I went we went on a huge tangent which is you were scared about security. Right. And you were maybe at the peak of that. I think you were working as an accountant, right, for your dad's office. When
1: I was young, yeah.
0: And as a tax consultant. Mm-hmm. What what changed? Um
1: I think in my late 20s, I was on the path of, you know, having a lot of debt and not being happy and I just decided I'm not going to live that way. And what changed for me is I started to read some of the old spiritual writers like Emmett Fox and um, Norman Vincent Peale early on, Napoleon Hill, a lot of those writers. But um, Emmett Fox was somebody that I really, really loved. I loved his books. Um, uh, Robert Collier, not a lot of people have heard of him. He wrote a book called Secret of the Ages. So I started to kind of amass this library of old thinkers that would write about things like your thoughts influence your reality and um, it's important for you to really direct your energy in the right place. And uh, to them, it was just a way of life. It was so well accepted back then. It wasn't considered new age or woo-woo or anything like that. It's just this this is how these people lived, visualizing what you want, which a lot of our great athletes do. And I started to practice some of those things. And I also decided I was not going to be a slave to my history. I wasn't going to grow up Worrying about money. Um, I wanted choices. I'm a kind of a rebel at heart, so I did not want. I mean, you know, by 28 I was fired from a job, and I thought I'm never going through that again. It was horrible. I thought I'm not. I am not cut out to work for people. It's just not who I am. And um, and I started. I remember I got a second job so I could just pay off. I had fifteen thousand dollars in debt. I was 28, and I thought I'm putting all of my money towards paying off that debt because I will not be a slave to it. And I got at the end of a year i had paid off 10,000 of the do- 10,000 i had 5,000 left and a dear friend died and left me $5,000 in her will and i really saw that as the universe sort of saying i got you kid you're serious we're serious and then it just took off from there i started you know, I I um, left the family business, which was hard, and then I enroll. I met this gentleman, Thomas Leonard, who was the guy who really launched the profession of coaching in the United States back in the early '90s. I enrolled in a master coach program. It was a three-year program. You don't even see those nowadays, but, um, and I started really studying. I I combined all that I had learned up to that point in my life with what he had learned. He was older than I was, and um, just started coaching people and doing my own work. I mean, I was always led first by my own work, and just... When
0: were you able to kind of make the transition to a full-time coach, like that was the main source of your income?
1: Yeah, um, I would say by the time I was in my early 30s, it took me two years, because I sort of track what happens, it took me two years to build a full referral-generated practice. Um, So... I I coach people for free at first. I said, I'm in training. I'm passionate about this. I have no idea if it's going to work. But you know what? If you take it seriously, if you show up, if you do the work, and if it works for you, tell other people about it. I'll coach you for free for three months. And I had several people sign on and that's how I began. Took me two years after that. I was, Thomas used to say to me, he was my coach, he used to say, Cheryl, you just coach your clients really, really well and success will take care of itself. He was absolutely right. The other thing he taught he Taught me back then that
0: there's a good point there. Also, the power of free. So yes. this way you could focus on success, absolutely, rather than how do I keep the client paying me?
1: Well, because with coaching it's different. You know, you can't buy a relationship, right? We have to like each other. There has to be chemistry. You have to really trust me, and I have to trust you. It's a it's an interdependent relationship. If we don't have that. And if I have an agenda, like I've I you know, I have energy around this. Like if you're coaching people and you can't afford to lose a client, you need to go get a job because and then coach people on the side because I needed to be able to be fired by clients who didn't like the truth. Cuz people pay me to tell them right. the truth. Period. In a in a loving and gracious way whenever possible. Sometimes I got to deliver it directly, but I'm never brutal about it. I don't believe in that. Um, But people are paying me to tell them the truth, or they were paying me to tell them the truth. And um, I needed to be able to afford to do that. So by the end of two years, then I started thinking about writing about what I was doing. I wrote 200 pages of a book I called Secrets of Success. Michael, I remember, made me a cover and put New York Times bestseller on it. And I looked at that book every day. And after writing 200 pages, I realized, you know what, Um, this is just bullshit. All I'm doing is just... I'm just regurgitating everybody else that I've read. There's nothing unique in me in this. So I put it aside and I decided to just really coach people really well and begin to write about what I was experiencing in my own life personally and with my work with clients. And then two years later is when I started Take Time for Your Life. And, um, you know, the whole story of how that came about, it's a long story, but it's one of those great magical You know, when you show up and you're committed to the truth and you do the hard work, life shows up for you. And that book got published. And a year and a half after publishing it, when it was in paperback, Oprah had been given the book, she said four or five times, and finally said, All right, come on the show. And I did one show with her. They invited me back for a second show. And I'm in the green room about to do the second show when the senior producer comes in and says, Hey, listen, by the way, we've decided to make this a year-long series and we'd like you to be the team leader. Are you cool with that?
0: <laughs> That's great.
1: I was like, are you kidding? You know, and I'm trying to like keep it together because I'm about to go out. I think we were even doing a live show at the time and I had to go out and like just be present. But I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to be the team leader and then the rest was history. Suddenly, I was taken in a completely different direction because till that point, I was coaching business owners. you ever owners. It at
0: that point? Like between the time that person asked and the time, let's say, the deal was signed, were you ever so anxious that it wouldn't close uh, because of fears that you didn't deserve it, that uh, because you had because you grew up with lack, that I don't know? I better get involved in the deal. You know, I better you know, try to call Oprah and convince her. And-
1: no, here's the thing: I never. I think this is true. I'm not sure. I'd have. I'd need time to. I don't think I ever wondered, worried about whether or not I deserved something because mm. I had worked really hard. I mean, I really did. I've been working hard all my life. And, um, and I had I was always doing my own personal work. I was in therapy. like I was looking at this stuff before it had a chance to sabotage me. I will say that the thing that would cause me to sabotage myself was a fear of added responsibility. If I was going to if something looked like it was going to push me over the limit, and I had said yes without really exploring that and taking it in, then I would start, you know, tripping things up. But, you know, I was a really good firstborn hero child. I just showed up and plowed my way through. I'm happy to say that at this point in my life, my suck it up muscles have gone slack. I've lost a filter or two and I just don't do that anymore. I just, you know, I catch myself when I get close to doing that again and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Pull yourself you can feel back it. without a doubt. You know, I, I don't... I, I think I got, that's the
0: importance of of the so, what you call the so-called winter, but let's call uh, early autumn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is that you can't help but develop those muscles a little bit because you're just going to get tired.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, that's the, one of the gifts of aging is you do. You just get tired. You don't have the same energy as you
0: did. I used to think I could do everything, Yeah, well, and it, it's hard.
1: It, it, to me, it's more mental energy. You know, two and a half years ago, I caught myself one day thinking, oh, I don't really have the physical energy, and I went, no, 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 no. That I'm not doing. And I got myself, I, start, I became a CrossFit gal, and I've been doing CrossFit ever since. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, it was the best thing I ever did and um i mean i'm not you know i'm not going to the crossfit games by any means but i am tough and stronger today than i've ever been because i want to enjoy my life i want to physically be present and able i want to have the energy but it's the mental energy right you know what i mean where you just you've got 17 million things and people are pulling at you and they want to and it's like no i want freedom i want freedom and so you know i've fortunately I have a good team of people who support me and i'm getting really good at being discriminating about what I'll say yes to if it's not an absolute yes I've paid my dues I'm at a point where if it's not an absolute yes it needs to be a no and I'm getting better at doing that but I'm you know I'll probably never be great at it in
0: well, this lifetime I think I think again it's the direction that is most important mm-hmm. and I want to say it also all of this really comes across beautifully in the book the book is not it's not a here's how you do this but it's it's more of like If you do this, here's what it looks like at this. You know, it's life is life is good. It's you have to think every day, you have to make time every day, you have to make time for the things you love every day. I think it's too easy to kind of let the things you don't love overpower the things you love because they are overpowering the things you don't love. And sometimes the things you love might seem not important to anyone else, but they're important to you, and you still have to carve it out or you'll be unhappy. But I really recommend the book. Waking up in winter again. Tell me the subtitle. I <laughs> it's
1: okay. In search of what really matters at midlife.
0: It's a, it's a beautiful book. I've read it several times. In part because it's a great book. In part because we're friends. And uh, and I highly recommend it. And I'm so glad for the first time you've come on my podcast. I know.
1: And thank you for having me. And thank you for the uh, really thank you for the original support. You know, I'm glad. I, I had was
0: you. waiting for the book for a long time. You I told know me you, you were I writing know. it. I, I know. I, I waited for. Five years for that ball. I know,
1: you were just, you know, thank you. We need each other, right? We need each other in that way. That's how we support each other's souls. I can't think of anything better to do and I thank you for supporting mine.
0: Thank you, Cheryl. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Glad to be here.
0: And if you enjoyed listening to this, please subscribe to The James Altucher Show on either iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today.